Haven't we had a, a great conference together? It's been uh, fantastic to uh, hear Paul Blackham teach us all about uh, the meanings of Exodus and, and the beginning of Leviticus and tabernacles and clothing and festivals and all kinds of so much in there. And it's always great as well to hear David uh, with historical lectures in so much detail going through it with a fine tooth comb, um, picking out all the different things that happened um, there. It's been great to hear all the reports and uh, all kinds of things uh, we, we've heard and experienced over these last few days. It's been great to have Beth uh, tell us how Islam has nothing at all to do with Christianity. We knew that anyway, but it's good to know that and uh, to be affirmed in that and that they need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've had a fantastic time uh, together. Our time, I don't know if it's my age. Now I've got to 23. I don't know if it's my age, but uh, time seems to be going much quicker these days. Uh, Christmas like, seems like ages ago, and yet it was less than a month ago. We, we had a fantastic uh, time at Christmas. We were without any kids in our house from September to Christmas. Our youngest went to university, and so that meant we, we were just me, my wife, and the dogs. And it was great to have our daughter Beth, who's a teacher in London, come back over Christmas, and our son Joel from Liverpool Uni, and to be a family again. Um, for a short time. And they're still like little kids. We, we still did the same thing this Christmas we would have done, we've done for years. And that is they always want to watch certain films at Christmas. Anyone wants to have a guess at any of the films that they wanted us to watch? That definitely wasn't one of them. Yeah. Say again, sorry? Not The Wizard of Oz either. Not Home Alone either. We didn't watch... Oh, this is just turning into madness. This is like the 1904 revival. This is like... I'm, I'm just... I, I'm just going to weep. I'm just going to start weeping unless you calm down and just... One at a time. Please, Vinny. No, you see, we're not that... No, I thought this would be dead easy. No. No, not die hard. Come on, Martin. Martin. Say again? No. What is wrong with you people? I thought it was going to be... Come on, Jeff. It's a wonderful life. No. It is a wonderful life, but that... Joe, please. No. What is... Shall I just tell you? No, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody's got it. No. This didn't work out. This didn't work out as I thought it was going to do. So, we watched the Polar Express. We watched a Christmas Carol. Disney's a Christmas Carol, which is quite scary. Uh, we watched Elf. And, and we watched this great Christmas film as well, um, Back to the Future, which is not really a Christmas film, but we tend to watch this quite a lot. And we've seen Back to the Future. Roger, have you seen Back to the Future? You never. Oh, come on. So you don't know anything about a flux capacitor or 1.21 gigawatts? No, okay, yeah, there you go. This is it's interesting. Well, anyway, just go with me. Okay, so the whole premise of Back to the Future is they've got a car on their DeLorean. You can't see it very well there. This DeLorean, it's got a, it's got a time machine inbuilt. And you can see, like, they've got a little panel there. And you can type in the dates. Uh, and, and you could go back in time or go into the future. And you could go and visit um, play things throughout history. And as, as this is a true story, yeah, 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 yeah. We've got one of these in Bradford. 
I, I don't tell people I live in Bradford. I say I live on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales. So I say I... But anyway... Uh, <laughs> But I, I was thinking, if we, because, you know, you guys, you, you don't watch films like this or anything, you know, but if, if we could go back in time, where would, where would we go to? Now, we don't want all 1904 revival again. So I'm going to point you to some things I would have loved to be able to go back in time to see, to be part of. Uh, I, I think of, as David will sort me out afterwards of getting these dates and, and things wrong. Uh, back to 1739 to hear John Wesley preaching in the fields in Kingswood in Bristol. And as he's preaching, and amongst the, the crowd there, there's miners with blackened faces. And as he tells them about the one who died for them, you see the tear tracks in their blackened faces as they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It would have been amazing to be there with Wesley as he was doing that. Perhaps to 1521, as a German monk stood before the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, at the Diet of Worms, And you heard Martin Luther say these words, Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against my conscience. May God help me. Amen. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be there, to hear him say those words, to stand there and say those things in the face of the, the, the Holy Roman Empire, standing up for the gospel. Perhaps we'd go back a, a little bit uh, sooner. We'd go back to 1918 and visit the Donover Fellowship in India to see the work amongst the poor of Amy Carmichael saving many young people from temple prostitution and then leading them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to maybe hear Amy Carmichael say these words, which it said that she said, missionary life is simply a chance to die. Maybe we want to go back to the 1860s to be alongside James Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, to be with him in Shanghai as he produced and gave out thousands of Chinese gospel tracts. The historian Ruth Tucker said this of Hudson Taylor. She said, No other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision or has carried out a more systematized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. Perhaps we'd want to go back to the 1904 revival to see if what David told us is true. And check him out and say, it was actually what happened. We, we could go back there. Or maybe we want to go back, maybe one more, to maybe around 60, 62 AD, to be in a Roman prison with the Apostle Paul, to hear him singing psalms and hymns, and to hear him preach the gospel to those prison guards. Perhaps there are other times that you could think of if you had a DeLorean time machine. You could just go back and visit some of these people. Now, Why would we want to do that? Why, Why would I want to do that? What made me think of that? You see, we look at these people, these heroes of of yesteryear, and we see them as heroes of faith, and indeed, that is what they are. Uh, But there's more than that to this, isn't there? Uh, What we actually find with all these people is that they have an uncompromising confidence in the gospel. An uncompromising confidence in the gospel. It doesn't matter who they stood in front of, who they're addressing, what the situation is, they're going to preach 
the gospel. They had an unswerving belief that there was power in the gospel, power to change individual lives, power to change communities, power to change nations. Now I want to stop here for a moment and just explain as simply as possible what we mean when we use the word gospel. Now that might seem a strange thing to be saying to you guys particularly as gospel workers. But I want to suggest that it's necessary for us in these days to define our terms because things have changed. Things are different. You know, Walter Martin, um, who wrote the book The Kingdom of the Cults, once said this. If someone comes up to you and says, "Um, I believe in Jesus, your response to that should be, which one? If someone says today they're a Christian, what does that mean? What does it mean if they say they're an evangelical? What what does that mean? When they say, I go out and preach the gospel, what does that mean? We need to define our terms. You see, we hear the word gospel bandied around constantly, but its meaning and usage, I would suggest, has greatly changed over the years. Bit of Hillsong in the middle of the message. Uh, you see, we hear people adding, adding uh, prefixes or suffixes to the word gospel. So we'll hear of the prosperity gospel, the word of faith gospel, or the social gospel. Or you might hear people talk about the gospel of the kingdom, or the gospel of Jesus, or the gospel of Paul. You know, friends, I want to suggest that the gospel doesn't need a prefix or a suffix. It doesn't need a fix of any kind. It just needs to be declared, to be shared, to be proclaimed. But what is the gospel? Paul explains in very simple terms how the early church understood and preached the gospel. He said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to me and to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now here we find Paul repeating the word that, and he draws attention to four main aspects of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared. The gospel in a nutshell is this, that Jesus died and rose again from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. Our message is so simple, and yet it's so profound. It's so simple, and yet it's so profound. And I want us to just consider three things very briefly this afternoon about the gospel. The gospel is uncompromising, it's uncomfortable, and it's unstoppable. So I want us to think of this, first of all, that it's uncompromising. If you look up the word uncompromising, um, the dictionary says this, to be inflexible, rigid, adamant, unbending, stubborn, and hard-nosed. 
want that on your publicity, don't you? That's, that's a good thing. Words we wouldn't like to be used about us as Christians, but descriptions that are spot on where the gospel is concerned. You see, it, it is inflexible. It is rigid. It is adamant. It is unbending. It is stubborn. It, it is hard-nosed. It is uncompromising. See, Paul's introduction to, um, to Romans 1, which Jason read for us, um, Paul introduces himself like this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ, uh, sorry, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now you say, well, there you go, there's a suffix, gospel of God. Yeah, you're wrong, Tony. It does have suffixes on sometimes. No, actually, he's pointing something out very, very important here as Paul. He's saying, actually, the gospel is not my gospel. The gospel is from God. It's not a man-made gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not just one philosophical view amongst many. No, the gospel finds its origin in God. And in Galatians 1, verses 11 to 12, Paul says this. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And friends, because the gospel is of God, it is uncompromising. We, we can't compromise it. We, we've heard that in various ways through various testimonies and, and messages over these last few days, haven't we? How actually you need to stand firm on that. Uh, you, you don't water it down for Muslims. Um, you, you don't water it down in the prisons. You don't water it down in Sazri. You don't. You, we've got to be wise, and, and we, we want to be loving, but you can't change the message. The message is God's message. The gospel is God's gospel. So it can't be compromised. It's uncompromising. This gospel, says Paul, was promised by God beforehand through His prophets in the holy scriptures. He goes on to say in Romans one two. You see, God set a plan of salvation in motion long before Paul came to be aware of it on that Damascus road. There's no plan B. It's the gospel. And we need to proclaim it. I don't know if you uh, have heard of this guy or know anything about this guy. It's a guy called Douglas Murray. He's an interesting guy. I heard him on a podcast recently. Um, and it was a Premier Christian Radio podcast. Uh, one of their unbelievable podcasts. And he was on there. Normally have two people in a bit of a debating session. But it wasn't like that with Douglas Murray. You had Douglas Murray on one side. You had this, um, this young woman on the other side. I've forgotten her name now. Um, who was a Christian. Uh, and Douglas Murray is very warm to the gospel. Uh, Douglas Murray would say he was a Christian who was in church until his late 20s. He, he's a gay man. He's a political commentator and journalist, author. And, but he's, he's saying some really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I began reading his book called The Madness of Crowds on the back of listening to this podcast. And his book tackles issues around sexual orientation, feminism, race, and transsexualism. And what he's contending, Douglas Murray, is definitely on our side. What he's contending is this. He's concerned that that, with, that which was once very stable and foundational and normal and obvious, that is our, our Judeo-Christian foundations, has been replaced by something that was thought of yesterday, as he would say. It just, just been suddenly wiped out and replaced. And he said, this is worrying. And it's madness. 
And it's really interesting what he says because one of the things Douglas Murray says as a gay man who, again, you know, really has a heart for Anglicanism, who was in the Anglican church, uh, believes in sort of like the creeds and everything. He says, you know, I've got a heart for all this stuff and I love singing and he's, he's not far. We need to pray for him. But he was saying, he says, I'm fed up with people saying things like, well, as a gay man, I can say this, or, or as a, a black woman, I can say this, or whatever it might be. He said, it's just a nonsense. You know, there, there's a change, a shift in our society where all these things are crashing in and changing everything, which was not so long ago thought of as just very obvious and, and, and normal. So you, you take the old LGBTQ stuff that we're having to deal with. It's not that long ago that people would have been on our side on that issue and said, this is crazy, same-sex marriage, that's ridiculous. And now it's not only sort of taught as normal, it's pushed as an agenda. Friends, the answer to this is the gospel. Uh, we've been hearing this again throughout our few days. The, the answer to these things is again is to not compromise on the gospel. Pray for Douglas Murray. Keep him in your prayers. Read some of his stuff. He's an interesting guy. You see, there has been and continues to be a drifting away from biblical truth, not only just in our society, but from among those who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior as well. And this is really sad, isn't it, when you see this in the church, or the so-called church, a, a gradual relenting of gospel truths. It's like Beth was saying, you know, to go into some Bible colleges, she can't say some of the things she, she want to say. If you go into prison, you can't say some of the things you want to say. In Sazri, you can't say some of the things that you just think is just obvious things to say. A, a gradual relenting of, of gospel truths, a moving away from special creation to theistic evolution. A man is no longer a sinner, but basically good. Sins are no longer to be considered an offence to a holy God, but rather just mistakes we make. This, this is what I've heard Christians preaching. Uh, God does not judge, he just loves people. Uh, Christ was not a substitute taking our penalty. That would be cosmic child abuse. Jesus is not the only way, but one of many ways. Islam and Christianity are bedfellows, both of the Abrahamic faiths. Worship the same God. You don't have to believe in the triune God revealed in Scripture. The Bible is not the infallible Word of God. It's just an old book that needs to be modernized. Uh, we don't need a Savior. We just need a coach who will help us discover how to live our best lives now. All this stuff is, is rampant in our churches. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Screw Letters, a senior demon uh, writing to his nephew Wormwood says, says this Indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts so it's just a gradual slipping away moving away drifting away from gospel truths and what begins with what seems like a, a little bit of a concession a little bit of latitude soon becomes a flood, a tidal wave. But friends, the gospel cannot be compromised. It, it cannot be watered down. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in verse 16 of Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so what I want to suggest to us as, as we are going home soon is that we continue to preach the gospel faithfully. That's what we need to do. You see, the reason some may compromise the gospel 
is because of this. The gospel is uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable, do we? Anybody been uncomfortable here these last few days? Put it on your feedback form. <laughs> Tell Janice. I was talking to Gordon Curley, who's, who's not here, so I can talk, really talk about him now. <laughs> but we were sharing our experience. We both went to Moldova last year. And uh, Moldova's not the worst, uh, most interesting country you could visit in the world. We went to Moldova, we were just sharing stories of you know, the, the toilets being holes in the ground and stuff like this and uh, some of the interesting food we got to eat and uh, the bed wasn't very comfortable and I couldn't speak the language and you felt uncomfortable. For, for two weeks I felt, I felt uncomfortable. And you had to keep reminding yourself why you were there. I, I'm not here to be comfortable. But you see, we like to be comfortable, don't we? We don't like to do anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. And because we're British, we don't like to do anything that makes others feel uncomfortable either. We don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, We're too nice and too polite for that. And I think that's why often Christians don't want to share the gospel. Or or in the way that they should share the gospel. So they'll talk about other things, other ways of sharing the gospel. And I'm not knocking any of these things per se. But what I'm saying is that rather than telling people their real need of a saviour, you're a sinner You're going to be lost for eternity. You're going to end up in hell for eternity unless you repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We spend years building friendships with them. And maybe the first few years we don't even tell them we're a Christian. There's no evidence that we are either. We want it because that's more comfortable. Friends, I'm not saying we should go out and cause a riot and insult people. But what I'm saying is they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the danger that they're in. You know, um, guys like Ray Comfort, uh, I love some of his illustrations. He talks about, you know, sort of uh, if you saw a house on fire, you know, uh, sort of flames and there's people just downstairs and there's flames above. And, and, you know, would you go and tell them or would you just leave them? You know, how serious is the message that we have? Do we really believe what we say we believe? That people are lost and going to be lost for eternity in danger of hell? Then, friends... We have to make people feel uncomfortable at times and we have to be uncomfortable ourselves. Christianity at its core is uncomfortable. At its centre is a cross, a Roman form of execution, which makes for uncomfortable bedtime reading. Jesus, the bearer of that cross, calls those who would follow him to deny themselves and to pick up their own cross and to follow him. Sounds rather uncomfortable to me. You see, the gospel is a call for us to give up our comforts and to live radically countercultural lives following the Lord Jesus. In one of his uh, books, uh, Francis Chan said this, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Let me read that again. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Friends, we're not called to a comfortable life. We're called to proclaim an uncomfortable message, the gospel message. People are in rebellion towards God Uh, They don't want to release their autonomy. 
So a call to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ may not sound like good news, and yet it must be preached. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now notice uh, in Romans 1.14 to 17, the Apostle Paul um, says three things beginning, I am. And the first one is this. He says, I am under obligation in verse 14. I'm under obligation. Or some translations, it says, I'm a debtor. You see, he was freed on that Damascus road. Saul becomes Paul. And from that moment, he felt an obligation to preach the gospel. And the whole world became his parish long before John Wesley thought of that. The whole world became Paul's parish. He was like, I'm going to preach to you, whoever you are, wherever I find you, I will preach to you. I will tell you the gospel. You see, he felt an obligation to do it. I wonder whether we feel a debt of gratitude, whether we feel an obligation to preach. You know, one of the things um, that's, that's it's interesting in, in the Christian church is that we, we, we make things, how can I put it? We, we make things... We, well, let me think on what I want to say. When I was with the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, you had no choice. You knocked on doors. You're not a Jehovah's Witness unless you knock on doors. We make this an option thing, don't we? Sharing the gospel. Well, if you're an evangelist, if you feel that way inclined, if you're free, if you're available, if you want to, if you're not too scared, whatever it might be, then share the gospel. Friends, it's for all of us, isn't it? We owe a debt of gratitude to the Lord Jesus. And how dare we, after being saved ourselves and being aware of such a great salvation, how dare we then think we don't want to pass that on to someone else? You've heard this story before, I'm sure, but it is one of my favorites about D.L. Moody, who was once criticized for his methods of reaching the people with the gospel. His reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. The woman who criticized him said, I don't do it. To which Moody replied, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I love the, um, it was Fiona, Paul and Fiona, wasn't it? Uh, Fiona Jones who sort of was saying um, that we're all different. We've we're, we're all got our own way of evangelizing. We're all gifted differently. Friends, we just go and preach the gospel in the way that God has gifted us to do that. See, Paul was on his way to Rome, eager to preach. We're on our way home, and we also eager to preach. In verse 16, so he's under obligation. I'm eager to preach, Paul says, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And why is he not ashamed? Well, he explains, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's not be ashamed of the message. Let's not be ashamed of the one who died for us. The one who bought us with a price. Let us proclaim him and let's see him work through our lives. And finally, the gospel is unstoppable. Friends, we're living in strange times, but so was Paul. Unless we become overfearful by the state of our society, let us ask, was it any different for Paul? When he sort of thought of Rome and he saw the Roman world, was it any different for him? The world in which Paul preached the gospel 
it's not a lot different to the world we're called to preach the gospel into as well. I wonder what he would have seen if he looked out of his travelodge in Rome across the scene. What would, he, what would he have seen? Well, he says here in verse 18 of Romans 1, he says, I see people suppressing truth. Isn't that what we see? People suppressing truth. Stuart Burgess talked about creation, didn't he? It's like he's saying people are just denying the obvious. Yet it's obvious that there's a God. You just look at creation. People are denying that which is obvious. The creation declares a creator. So people are suppressing truth. And Paul says in verse 20, so therefore people are without excuse. They're without excuse. I, I, I love the, um, the idea of saying that to people when they say they don't believe in a God, to say, yes, you do. And just to challenge them with that. So you do. You, you might say you don't, but you do. You know there's a God. And, and be unapologetic about that. You, for whatever reason, you're suppressing it. You're not wanting to believe it. And we might be able to unpack why that is. But the reality is, you know there's a God. You know there's a God. But what do people do? Paul says in verses 21 to 23, he says, People set up idols in place of God. And we heard about some of those today through David, didn't we? For men, it's sport, perhaps. For women, did you say shopping? (laughs) Perhaps. But we're good at setting up idols, aren't we? Rather than worshipping the one true God, we can get fixated with things that, that don't really matter. Things that are not important. People were setting up idols in place of God. And so Paul says that after all this that's happening, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Sounds very similar to the society we're living in, does it not? And we get a little bit fearful at times. Look how bad everything is. It's the worst ever. You know, it's terrible. How how can we cope with this? What are we going to do? And the answer's always been the same. It's the gospel. That's the answer. To preach the gospel. The same problem back then for him was sin. The same answer, the gospel. Paul's response to an unregenerate world around him was to preach Christ. And that should be asked too, shouldn't it? It's sad, isn't it, when the church has lost its way. Steve Lawson in his book, Famine in the Land, says this. A new way of doing church is emerging. In this radical paradigm shift, exposition is being replaced with entertainment, preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. The pulpit, once the focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries. In seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, a new wave of pastors is reinventing church and repackaging the gospel into a product to be sold to consumers. That's quite challenging, isn't it? But we see it. We try all these different things, different ways to try and attract people in and to, to keep people And what we're actually doing is just watering down the gospel or sharing no gospel. And actually the answer is the gospel itself. And in spite of all that's happening around us, 
we know that where the gospel is faithfully preached, we see growth. There's growth. We hear of growth in China. We hear of growth in Iran. We're excited in our church at the moment. Every, every time I'm there, I'm not there as often as I could be, but maybe once a month, there seems to be more people uh, from like Iran, Iraq there. Uh, many accepting Christ, getting baptized. You know, praise God. We know around the world the church is growing. We know that God is still working. The gospel still works. And we know how tough it is here in the UK. But friends, as we return home, may we have a confidence in the gospel. You know, so all Paul did was preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Friends, that's all we want to do is preach the gospel, preach the gospel. So I exhort you to preach the gospel. And let's just give praise and thanks to God. Paul says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We're the only ones with the answer to the world's ills. We're the only ones with the right message to proclaim. So let's be faithful in doing that. Adrian, would you like to just come up and share a song with us? Thank you.